You've tapped or clicked in to College Volleyball Weekly on Viral Volley Media. Now here's your host, Rob on Mike. All right, good day, everyone, and we are starting early. We can't even really call this the 2024 CBW Men's Volleyball Preview for 2024. It's more like 2024 chatter because we're still in the midst of collecting all the info, data, smut, gossip, you name it, but we're going to try and get it out there. No, we're not e-entertainment for TV or anything. We're just trying to figure out what's going on here, but with me, as always, a great and seasoned crew and vet with talent, not with age, Dan Friend of Lewis, Theo Edwards of Cal State North. Oh, sorry, CSUN. I got yelled at for that on the Big West preview. Uh, Jay Hossick of George Mason. <laughs> And UC San Diego's Brad Rostetter. I'm Rob Espero, and uh, thanks for having me on again. We are, I think someone said 20 days from season starting, two weeks. Jay, is that what you said? Yeah, and for some of us, maybe a little earlier. But yeah, it's it's coming up quick. It's our turn. <laughs> well, with that, we have to say a huge congratulations to former uh, CVW contributor and Pepperdine, former Pepperdine head coach, David Hunt. Not one now, but two national <laughs> championships as his team the University of Texas Longhorns hooked them big time yesterday in a 3-0 sweep of Nebraska, led by Asia O'Neill's five aces and Mass and Skinner's 16 kills and an ace of her own. And uh, wow, Dave leaves the men's game and boom, two natties. That that doesn't look good for us. But well, <laughs> I think it, lo- I think it looks great look for us. <laughs> I, I would agree with that. And if you're a women's coach, the men's side is going to start getting poached a little bit more than it already is. That's uh that's a heck of a turnaround by, by a couple of his coaching staffs, picking up a bunch of men's players and men's coaches. If you're a women's coach and you want to get your team good, the men's side, there's a lot of guys that could bring that stuff over to them. Well, I wanted to get your guys take because, you know, obviously your connection with Dave, but watching the women play and uh, the championship, because I think we're to go into a topic from there that could go long. We'll see. Because uh, again, this is unscripted, so we're going real time here. So, uh, who wants it? We'll start with Dan on the thoughts of the national championship match. Yeah, well, ultimately, I was there for the semifinals with the convention, um, and then uh, watched the finals on TV. I mean, Skinner was unbelievable. Um, you think about you know how she played against Stanford, even the regional final, and you just watched her elevate her game. People about people talk about having an alpha or a dog or you know, the player, and she certainly was the player uh, and and really was phenomenal to watch. And uh, certainly she had some teammates and a cast that were really, really good. But they just got into a pretty good groove and played at a really high level. Uh, and it was fun to watch that group uh, in terms of that. I mean, you're seeing something. I mean, they're serving. I mean, I don't know what the clock was on the some of the float serves, but they were serving with some pace and really disrupting teams. And, you know, Stanford was one of the best passing teams in the country this year, and uh, and they really put pressure on them. And you saw them just double that up against uh, Wisconsin and Texas, and so uh, along with the physicality uh, that they had. So, but yeah, it was great volleyball, and yeah, certainly all the women's momentum and TV ratings and fans and all the stuff that they're doing. I I think, and we're going to talk about this. Uh, hopefully, we can ride some of that momentum and that wave on that side because. Uh, certainly some great TV ratings in terms of that. 
Yep. Let's jump over to Brad. And I want to say to our listeners and viewers, you're not watching the women's version of College Volleyball Weekly. We're just celebrating a former <laughs> contributor who happened to be the associate head coach for the last two years. So just in case you guys are listening, what are they they're talking about women's volleyball? <laughs> Let's go to Brad. And my former roommate too. So uh, it was definitely uh, fun to see that match. And yeah, you, like Ajo O'Neill was a big storyline. Um, and she showed why she was one of the best middle blockers in the country including professional players and kind of putting her case out there to, you know, make a bid to be on the Olympic uh, roster uh, this coming summer. And she was impressive. She was impressive from the service line. She was impressive at the net blocking um, and really made a difference on some of those stud attackers Nebraska had throughout the year. Um, And then Maddie Skinner wins a freshman freshman year she wins a national championship junior year she wins a national championship senior year she wins a national championship and just one of the most impressive college careers I think anyone has had in at any sport um so definitely pretty cool to see all that but uh I think the evolution of the women's game and the continued presence that they've been growing and growing has only been great for us Um, You see it with David and Jalen on the sidelines and countless other student managers and graduate assistants that have men's volleyball's background and played the sport um, at some capacity to where, you know, it's a great opportunity for us to really be able to continue to build that momentum. And just like they set a bunch of records for their programs, for their institutions, um, for attendance or for viewership, I think it's a, it really sets the stage for us to strive to do something similar. Um, this upcoming season to continue to build off, you know, all the great momentum that, you know, that Nebraska Day of Volleyball was all the way through, you know, these last two matches they had in in Tampa. Yep. How about you, Theo, thoughts on the national championship match between Texas and Nebraska? Yeah, I just, I thought it was just fantastic volleyball. Uh, you know, Brad touched on it a little bit, but the evolution of the, of the women's game, as we've watched more and more of the men's coaches get over to that side and, and just a, a willingness to try new things and and take risks. Um, you know, the the offensive systems, the defensive systems are so similar to to what you're seeing on the men's side, and um, and they're doing it at such a high level. It's just fantastic volleyball. It's exciting to watch. The atmosphere is is great. Um, and then, you know, I think the, the person we didn't mention yet was Emma Halter, the libero uh, from Texas. She just had an incredible incredible tournament and that match against Wisconsin it felt like they just couldn't get a ball past her I mean she was digging everything and uh, yeah it was just some fantastic volleyball super super exciting and you know kind of like these guys said it'd be great for us to join forces with the women's side and and uh, you know the momentum that they've built the growth of of their game and and where it is today um, I think that the men's game should be somewhat somewhat similar and should ride those coattails and and continue to kind of for sure jay yeah i got a few points first of all congrats to texas congrats to dave and and jerry and eric sullivan yet another men's player that went over to the women's side years ago um you know and if you look at nebraska you obviously have jalen reyes and, and i think john cook if i'm not mistaken played at san diego state back in the day i may be wrong about the school but he played men's volleyball as well so you know you theo touched upon the evolution of women's volleyball and where it's going versus where it's been it, in my eyes it all started back when destiny hooker was on the national team and she was one of the first girls that i saw running a d-ball 
which obviously the men's teams have been doing forever. Uh, and then the evolution started to occur from there because people saw that it actually could be done at a high level. Uh, you know, but but I think the challenge that I'm I see with the women's side is that we're still we're acting like it's this new thing. And, and I'm talking about the announcers when they're doing it. You know, they're, they're acting like it's this new hot thing that's been all of a sudden invented. The men's sides have been doing it forever. Uh, and it's something that I think doesn't necessarily need to be talked about over and over again. That's not the point I'm trying to make. But for people that are seeing the women's team run the big, and I thought Maddie did a fantastic job running it, um, you know, that should be talked about to some degree that, the evolution of the women's game starting to mimic more of the men's side. There's two other points I want to make. One is the float serving Dan touched upon. When you, when you see the float serves that were happening this year, there was a little bit more pace to them, but the reality is that the net is lower. So the trajectory is flatter. And I apologize if you hear jets in the background, I'm outside here in Phoenix. Um, the trajectory is flatter and because the net is lower and it's a much, much tougher ball to pass. And I think some teams really took advantage of that by finding some good seams. The other thing is the women's side, you have not seen the evolution of hand passing float serves. And I think when you watch men's teams and you see float serves coming, a large portion of them take them with their hands. I'm not sure why that hasn't creeped back into the women's game, but that could be one thing that might mitigate that solution. The last one's a fun note. If you watched the game yesterday on ABC, we're starting to see it become celebrity fest with all these sports. Now you look at it with Taylor Swift and, and Kelsey and them. You, you yesterday, you had Sergio Garcia being shown on TV. Who's a Texas alum. You had Issa, who was a football standout and obviously a pro football player for uh, Nebraska. You had Jermaine O'Neal, who obviously his daughter is pretty good in place for Texas, but you're seeing this kind of, uh, this way of showcasing, hey, this is a great sport to watch and these celebrities are doing. It's like watching an old Laker game. Back in the day, the start of the second quarter, which is when everybody rolled in anyways, it was Celebrity Fest. And they showed all the celebrities in the stands and then they all leave by the end of the third quarter anyways. But regardless of all that, it was a it was a fun match to watch. Texas completely dominated uh, and, and, and congrats to them. But we can ride these coattails. We just got to figure out creative ways to do it. Well, you forgot to say that Maddie Skinner's dad is Brian Skinner, former NBA star too. Sacramento so. King guy. There we go. There you go. There you go. So yet another one. But you know, regardless, yeah. <laughs> celebrity fest. Yeah. Well, uh, definitely all great stuff for sure. And I, I definitely don't want to overlook Nebraska. I mean, if you look at the team that they put out on the court, how many freshmen do they have on the court? And I would happen to work the Pan American U17 championships on that roster were Harper Murray. Uh, Andy Jackson, Laney Choboy, and I'm oh Bergen Riley, all on the Nebraska roster as we speak. So um, future's looking bright for Coach Cook. So, uh, uh, but I mentioned that because Murray, if you're looking at that big, that is one girl who will definitely be one of the most lethal attackers in women's volleyball. She already is, but she is growing in the game so fast, and the build and the speed and her jump, she's going to hurt people soon. <laughs> so, yeah and not one senior on that team that's that's pretty scary <laughs> well I, i'm at a, a crossroads here because i want to go over to the men's but the marketing aspect and the ratings as well as viewership and all that maybe we'll bump that towards the end because i think that's gonna be a lengthy discussion because there is a lot of media on 
how much that was watched, how many people dialed in, the growth of men's and boys at the high school and um, club participation levels. The numbers are mind-blowing. So let's save that towards the end and let's jump into the other stuff, if that's okay, guys. So let me uh, scroll over and we'll jump that to the end. Uh, starting off with men's NCAA Division One and Two, new kids on the block. We chatted a little bit about this and we're still developing information, but new programs added Northern Kentucky University uh, with the potential of joining the MEVA and Coach Dan can uh, confirm that. Uh, I was finding that through various blog posts, so I don't know how legit that is. And then University of Maryland East Shores, who will be joining the NEC. Uh, wanted to get you guys' comments on that. Uh, let's start. We'll go reverse. Jay to Brad to Theo to Dan. Well, I think I think you're starting to hopefully see a little bit more name recognition. Northern Kentucky is a, a well-known school and University of Maryland Eastern Shore, although uh, not as big named as some, some of the other ones that's joining, it's still a well-known program. Uh, I think what you're starting to see is a little bit more push for some D1s. It's awesome to bring more in. Uh, you know, the D2s are starting to explode and, and we're, you know, I'm sure there's discussion about the championship coming in the future potentially, but the reality is, is that the game is growing really, really fast. And I think you'll see some takeoff or, or some, some rise in numbers of viewership when you start to see more commonly known brand names that are, that are attached to, to universities uh, I don't know when that's going to happen. I'm hoping sometime in the next five to 10 years, you see some some bigger names start to come, which might bring a little bit more cachet, if you will. But it's awesome to see the growth. And and men's volleyball obviously uh, is riding this wave right now. we got to be able to tap into it somehow. Is cachet like Pepper Diné, like you used to say, Jay? <laughs> some say cash. I say cachet. All right. How about you, Brad? Yeah, it's it's good, right? And the more we're able to add teams, especially especially the D1, D2 level, and the more that helps kind of the championship ratio and the more teams we can add to the championship down the road. Um, so to me, that's kind of where all that always comes back to is how do we create the best experience? How do we create the best end of the year? Um, and the more teams we have allows us to, over time, add more teams to that NCAA tournament to where we're having that larger tournament field. And I think it's really cool seeing two schools that are, you know, um, maybe not super well known, but a little more prominent and a little more um, sustained um, academically to where they're going to be adding men's volleyball and it's going to be great for their enrollment. It's going to be able to drive enrollment for some of the smaller D2 schools and help sustain those aspects of a university while still creating so many more men's volleyball players. Um, that just like when adding the HBCUs, it just opens so many more doors for athletes, whether it's in the U.S. or outside the U.S. that they can bring in um, to get more and more guys playing at the college level. Yeah. By you, Theo? Yeah, I, it's it's about opportunities. You know, and I, I think I've, you know, I've been around this game for what feels like almost 20 years now. And I've watched so many kids that leave the high school game. They want to play at the next level. Um, and the number of kids who potentially either are just on the cusp of not being that division one, division two type of player, um, but also just a lack of resources and roster spots where they don't get the opportunity to go and play and having additional programs continuing to add, it just creates more opportunities. And that's, that's really what this is all about. You know, we're watching this game grow and, 
it's growing incredibly fast and, and uh, in a lot of different states and a lot of different locations. And I'm just excited for there to be more opportunities for guys to continue to play at the next level and get to do this throughout their college career. It's really, really exciting for the game. Awesome, man. Let's finish out with uh, Dan. Yeah, I, I think we don't have enough programs for another guys playing. Hence, our rosters are all in the 20s or more so, some guys. <laughs> so, in terms of that, but uh, uh, I think the more we can add, the better. I think it's too, it's great to add two mid-major D1s. I think that's the space that we can really jump on right now. I think the the power four, power five is tough, but if we can grab more mid-majors, it'll it really expose our sport a little bit more. Um, we do have the I think it's the EEC who added um, back in May. Uh, and I think, so basically just to give you, so those are Robert Westland and St. Thomas Aquinas. And so, or the ECC, sorry. Um, it's a mainly a division two conference and they're going to have some affiliate members in American International uh, Alliance and Dominican. Damon and Deweyville are actually members of ECC and their other sports. But I think it'll kind of be interesting to see what they do between them being in the NEC and where they go. So there's some of that figuring out because that ultimately affects the NEC and them trying to get their uh, at-large piece uh, or AQ uh, bid that they want to do uh, the following year, too. So there's growth, but I think, you know, you got some growing pains, too, to see how some of the movement goes and where do those pieces fall in at the same time from that standpoint. So. Excellent. Well, it's like you're reading my mind, Dan. As I talked about the East Coast Conference because of those four schools, and but I didn't realize that. Uh, piece with uh, Damon DeYountville, uh as affiliate members. I guess that's what they they need to hash out from what you're saying. So yeah, so I just think they're trying to figure out where that kind of goes um, from that standpoint. And so I think the other thing that, I mean, uh, Merrimack and help me out, guys. So you got it. Merrimack gets caught in this um, piece too, where their whole conference moved. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, what was the other school with Merrimack? The, uh, Sacred Heart. Sacred Heart. Yeah. So Merrimack and Sacred Heart. So that's a little bit messy too. And what's going to happen with that. And uh, because yeah, they're kind of in limbo a little bit and they're trying to figure it out. Yeah. Well, speaking of they're trying to go back into the Eva if I'm right. Right, Jay. So both those guys are trying to get back into that. So yeah, there's, there's some discussion about both of them and, and, and whether or not we take both or one or none will remain to be seen, but yes, those are they're, they're, you're right about the conferences being whole school or whole athletic department conference moves and whether or not those schools or those challenges of those teams being able to stay in another conference because maybe the name recognition is a little better. Who knows what's going to happen, but it'll all unfold probably in the next six months or so. Wow. Well, uh, one of the, speaking of one of the conferences uh, that's going to be getting an auto bid, SIAC gets their auto bid this year, which means tournament expansion, so to speak. Uh, but I'd like to get your guys' take on it because – that means the tournament goes to eight. All matches are now at the championship site. From what I was reading, no, I see. Yes. Dan. Yeah, okay. I, I, let me give you some clarification. So the great thing, I mean, the bad thing is we didn't get to 12. So it was approved in concept uh, by the championship group um, to go to 12 with a regional play. But the budget committee didn't approve it yet. But it did approve eight with the SIAC getting there automatic bid um the good thing we did get is that it's not a four teams bracket with play-ins it's an eight team bracket and the ncaa is committed They're like hey we've got eight teams in the tournament it's an eight team bracket you're going to see it at one through eight and those matches will be played on tuesday so you'll have four matches on tuesday your semifinal and final on saturday so the nice thing is like hey we've at least they've acknowledged that it's this eight team bracket and not a four team 
with a bunch of play-ins. You know what I mean? In terms, Dana, of they said where the location is. Did it's they... all Long Beach. They're hosting it. It'll be Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday. So you'll have your selections sun Sunday the week and a half before. Because actually, what happens is if you get to where you're 12 team, nothing really has to move because you'll have selections Sunday. The regional play on that current weekend that's open right now, uh, where you'd play. Friday, Saturday, and then people would go to the final four the following weekend. And so just in terms of understanding the format, if 12 does hopefully happen in 2025. Wow. That's, that is huge news for the men's side, going to the all the teams on site and every team playing. That's a 1-8 versus 2-7 and so forth. So, um, yeah, good to see that coming up to Long Beach, which is uh, right up the way for me here. So uh, hopefully <laughs> I can jump in on that action in person. <laughs> um Let's go to the uh, NEC going to their second season. Um, for some reason, I, I was reading a lot of articles about them potential with the auto bid. Is that for certain or do they have to go through a board at the end of this season? Because this would be the NEC's second season in existence. SIAC, after two seasons, got the auto bid. Is it the same for NEC? And I asked it has, it has to be so that the, the SIAC didn't automatically get it. The championship committee had to vote on it and approve it. And it'll be the same for the NEC. So once uh, they complete their two-year cycle, uh, the championship committee ha has to vote on it and approve it. Uh, then mm -hmm. and NEC actually tried to get it early and were asking for like, hey, let us have it early. And unfortunately, the championship committee didn't feel like uh, they were going to give it to them earlier. It didn't feel like there was precedent for it or in terms of that. I'm not on that board, so I can't give that answer. But uh, they, they'd ultimately apply for it and have it in the hopper and the when the committee met in the summer, they would vote on it in terms of that. So, but I do think what bodes well is if they're in the hopper voting for it and we're trying to get to 12 and that's going to push that. I think that helps all together. Does that make sense in terms of mm -hmm. like, Hey, you got another team that wants an AQ. We have to expand this bracket to 12 if we're going to do this in terms of that, which would be a good thing. I, I agree. And I, and I think for the people that don't understand why did the big West get the automatic AQ their first year versus the NEC and the SIAC. It has nothing to do with the quality of the teams. It has to do with all the teams involved were already established and in another conference, whereas the NEC and the SIAC had teams involved that were not, they were first year programs. And so they're not going to just give a first year program an automatic opportunity to go should they win their, their tournament uh, title. And it's good because yes, we're going to go, we have eight now. That's awesome uh 12 that's great but again i go back to 16 is the number we should have shot for and, and and it's not anybody's fault i'm just i'm just saying let's just shoot for the moon and and somewhere land in the stars but 12 hopefully in 2025 like dan says is the number that we keep hearing uh and 12 would be a welcome number i think yep anything else to add gentlemen <clears throat> Yeah, I agree with Jay. I mean, I think if you if you paid attention to this show and you've listened to us chat about the parity between the teams that last year were in anywhere between the 5 to 10 to the 10 to 15, everyone was beating up on everybody. And to get an opportunity to see 16 teams battle it out in men's volleyball, I mean, it would just be one of the most exciting things that could happen in, in college sports. So, yeah, and we need to start pumping up the conference tournaments as maybe a first round uh, and, and, and maybe ride some coattails on that. And I, and I know that it goes against the grain of what the NCAA considers the tournament, but if we want to try to make it look like we're expanding, we're expanding without expanding, talk about each one of those tournaments 
their championships being the first round of the tournament itself. And that way we get even bigger brackets. I think that'd be kind of cool to see. Yep. Brad, any other thoughts there? Don't want to leave you hanging if you. No, it's uh, I think it's great for scheduling too, right? Once those AQs start going out, that's a team from that conference that's going to be in the national tournament. So a lot of teams are going to want to play the best teams in those conferences because when you look at that largest, it's, hey, have you beat teams that are going into the NCAA tournament? So naturally, when a conference receives that AQ, they're going to receive a lot more attention from other coaches that are looking to schedule and looking to play teams that are potentially going to be in the NCAA tournament. Cool. Um, hey, I, can, um, I got a couple other updates I'll give you guys because it'll be good info for you. So a, lot, a question I get quite a bit. Um, so is Division Two going to make their own championship? Um, and so basically in January, uh, the Division II NCAA is going to vote on can a sport add a championship with 35 members in it? Currently, it's 50 in order for you to add a championship. That rule is going to pass. That legislation is going to come through the pipeline. And so you have a, a handful of these collegiate championship sports, um, not just men's volleyball, but you have rifle and gymnastics and women's bowling and a bunch of these sports. Um, but so that people have some clarity on this, um, it's a process to create a championship. So one, you have to sustain 35 plus members for at least two years. And once that's established for two years, then somebody can enter in the legislation, hey, we'd like to add men's championship in Division Two. That's got to go through legislation process, which takes a, a solid year or more. Uh, and then it has to go back to the budget committee saying, hey, we're going to actually spend money to actually add a championships uh, at the Division Two level for it, which is a cost factor. Then it has to go back to legislation again in terms of it's a minimum three to four year process uh in order for it to happen so it's not like just like people are going to see this maybe pass and think oh hey it's going to happen right away and it's not and i sit on a committee that has some conversations about this and so it's also ramifications that they understand that it's like what does that do to the division one championship as well and how does that bode for men's volleyball as an olympic sport and so it's just that giving some information out there so people have a little bit of clarity on uh, some of that stuff coming down the pipeline and the other thing that I'll mention that we're working on is moving the championship off the current weekend with Beach uh, and moving to the weekend uh, like May 8th and 10th in Columbus in 2025. And what that does is give us an opportunity to, to celebrate our sport, uh, both women's beach and men's indoor. Uh, and so I think that'll be really good. What you might see is innately our season will start just a little bit later, which <laughs> isn't going to be bad for our kids or coaches over Christmas break. I won't bring my guys <laughs> back till January 2nd versus December 27th. Uh, and those are some things in the pipeline that are going on, Rob, that I thought would be good information for our listeners. Yeah. Interesting, because at the National Championship in Fairfax, thanks, Jay, <laughs> I came across some people who were involved with the planning and their concern was the availability of the major networks to be able to broadcast. And that's what was the, the inhibitor for moving the men's and beach off of different weekends. And I don't know if that's entered the discussion with the people you've been talking to. But... 100%. I mean, but so here's what you need to understand on that. So like the women's beach has already got way more contracted stuff on the ESPN platform, just so you understand that. So, uh, and Let's let there's a renegotiation, and just so you know, a lot of Olympic sports and men's volleyball being one of them, it's just in the bottom reading and writing of an ESPN contract. Just so you understand that, hey, we'll do is one event. Uh, and I think with our connections with Jamie Gordon as the current um, uh, CEO uh, of ABCA, 
uh, he's got some pull, I think, to kind of help out when we get to that point of that following weekend. So there's no guarantee. They were going to put the championships at Mason, and me and Jay talked about this briefly. They were going to put them down the ESPN uh, Plus or whatever, and or three, and get it off of you, which we had it on. And Jamie made a phone call and said, no, it's, let's not put the beach there on a whatever round it was on and keep our men's at it, which I thought was key in terms of that. So I think people's concern about that is a little bit. But one of the other conversations that people – the world of volleyball or volleyball TV, which showed some Big Ten matches. And if you've never been on the platform, shows a ton of international. They do all the VNL. Uh, I had a couple of good conversations with their CEO and then production manager. And I think that's another avenue for men's volleyball. And to piggyback, me and Jay might have talked about this, but we want to create that championship Saturday that existed about 15 years ago, where you've got like the EVA, MEVA, Big West, MPSF, some of the other conferences. It'll all be on that Saturday and finding a venue like volleyball TV that says, hey, can I come in and showcase all this stuff is another conversation that's being had at the same time. Oh, that'd be awesome. First point challenge at the Women's National Championship. <laughs> yeah. So um, that's excellent stuff. Thanks for sharing that, Dan. I know that there's a lot that's going on that a lot of the lay people just don't have any <laughs> knowledge of, but we know that, that things are moving and shaking back there. Um. Let's go over to uh, some some coaching moves in the last few months. Actually, November <laughs> was a big month because, yeah, the head coach, Ryan Boer of King University, uh, stepped down. And uh, Chris Seifert named the CUI interim head coach. Just wanted to put it out there for you guys. I met Ryan for the first time in person two years ago at UCLA and then at Mason or Fairfax. Sorry. Um, he brought something that was supposed to be a beverage that to me was gasoline from Tennessee. So that's all, that's all I remember <laughs> from that hotel room. But whoever wants to jump in, jump in. I'll, I'll jump in quickly. Cause I know Ryan a little bit. Ryan's one of the great guys in the game. If you ever get a chance to spend time with him, fantastic human being uh, and really cares about his programs. He was coaching both programs at King. And, uh, and, and as we've seen over the years, uh, with Jeff at, at Barton and a few others along the way, coaching both teams, you know, you do it at first when you're young because you can handle the stress and you can handle the travel and all that stuff that goes along with it. But it just, it grinds you down over time. Uh, and Ryan just had some personal issues, uh, some personal health issues he had to take care of and, and said, I need to take time to take care of me. And so we all wish Ryan well. I know I reached out to him when all happened. He's in good, he's in a good space. He's handling it. Um and with Riley Salmon, you know, we'll see what we'll see what transpires from that. But I'm sure Chris will do a fine job at Concordia and, and they have a good guy at the helm. So we wish him all the luck. Excellent. Anyone else? Uh, no, nope. well, I mean, ultimately, Ryan's great. I mean, I've known him for ever since he started coaching there. So I think sad to see him go. Sad to see us lose anybody who's got some coaching talent, especially. I mean, Ryan had been doing it for a while and. Raleigh certainly played a high level. And I, I think we're we're hurting for good coaches um, in terms of it's just a growth piece. We're growing. We don't have enough coaches for the programs. And so uh, anytime we lose a couple and somebody that's been in a while, I think that makes it a little bit tough. I think <laughs> me me and Jay are on the older side of the median age of the, of the <laughs> coaching stuff. And so that just tells you something, do you know what I mean, in terms of that. So <laughs> Jay's already wagging his finger and throwing salt early. Well, <laughs> You could see Dan and Dan and I and, and you apparently and, and Brad, we all have glasses on for Christ's sakes. I mean, it's <laughs> <laughs> but, but Brad's like 
25, I think. Those are vanity, those are vanity glasses for Brad. Just to those look a little smarter. I'm definitely not blind as a bat. <laughs> Which brings us to our somewhat preseason top 15 chatter. And only a few conferences have their uh, preseason coaches polls out, that being the FPSF and the MEVA. I haven't seen anyone else's. I do have insight to the Big West one, as do two other gentlemen on the screen. But uh, we're going to start. We're going to go east to west. We'll start with the EIVA, uh, and that would be Jay's conference. But why don't you talk about what you know, and then we'll all chime in afterwards. Yeah, so our our, our uh, preseason picks will come out, I think, this week. Um, and what you're seeing this year is the three-headed monster at Penn State has finally graduated after 17 years of eligibility. Um, the the three-headed monster of Cole Bogner, Brett Wildman, uh, and uh, Cal Fisher uh, have moved on. Uh, thankfully, I think the rest of us in the conference are tired of seeing those guys across the net. So what that means is Penn State – We'll have some new players in those positions. Um, they're not necessarily downgrading at all. I think they're they have some guys that have been chomping at the bit for a few years. Some of them have been sitting behind some of those guys for quite a time. So you know the, it'll take a little while for them to get used to the uh, you know the, the the rhythm of playing in matches. But Penn State's going to be Penn State. They're going to be good. But Princeton also looks good. Uh, NGIT is improved. We are improved. Finally, no longer freshmen on the court for us, which should be nice. Um, and so I think the conference is going to be a dogfight this year. Uh, and I don't think there's a clear favorite. I think Penn State will probably come out on top as the team to beat for obvious reason. But I think it's going to be a hotly contested co uh, conference this year. It's going to be a lot of fun to watch. I'm surprised you didn't drop your own boy's name, Omar. Well, listen, uh, you know, I can I can self-flagellate all day in front of everybody. But the, the reality hey, is this is family friendly, Jay, family friendly. Oh, get a dictionary and look it up. So <laughs> the, 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 uh, the, the reality is, is that uh, the, the top dog uh, may not be at that level uh, that they were at the last year. Uh, and I think everybody else is, is kind of figuring out some pieces. So it, it'll be a much different conference look, I think, this year. Yeah. I'm surprised that you didn't mention the, uh, the ones coming back from Penn State, Toby Azionu, Ryan Merck, John Kerr, and... Well, John Kerr has been backing up to Cal Fisher for the last number of years, and he's been chomping at the bit waiting for his turn. And now he's a senior, and he's finally ready to get a, a chance to start, which, um, you know, the kid's good. And, uh, you know, Toby's going to be Toby. I'm, I'm, I, if I'm them, I'm wondering how the connection between a new setter and him are going to work out. Obviously, him and Cole uh, had a pretty nice connection there. Um, you know, and we'll see what happens. Yep. Other, other coaches, thoughts on the EIVA? I think, I think – um, Oh. I mean, I, I agree with all Jay's sentiments. It'll be interesting to see what Charleston does. Like we talked about Charleston last year. I don't know. They were undefeated for the longest time. And then, uh, and I haven't looked at Charleston's schedule, so I don't know if he ramped it up a little bit. And uh, But it'll be curious how those guys fall into the mix with some of the other teams. And I think won't be as brand new in terms of Luke running that program. And so I don't think teams will be caught off guard from that standpoint. I do know Charleston opens up out West this year at some point. So, that'll challenge them right away from that standpoint. So. Yeah. And he got the player of the year, I think for the one conference. Uh, yep. He got two SIAC players, Ross, yeah. Jesse Delancey, and then um, Evan Edward. Yeah. Foreign kids. Uh, so yeah, Char I should have mentioned Charleston. I forgot to, but yeah, they're going to be a handful as well. The conference is going to be a dogfight. Yeah. On yeah. paper, 
they uh they're big they're physical and they look like they're going to be really good but obviously you never know and then Penn State figuring out the two outside hitters and the setting position is going to be really really crucial and I think Princeton is in a really good spot you know pretty much bringing everyone back from last year as well um and then we get to find out firsthand in January how George Mason and NJIT are going to be looking so uh that'll be a uh, a fun little battle to kick it off and figure out what's going on in the EVA. Well, usually Danny Concalves has something up his sleeve there because I uh, got the same at your place, Jay, this uh, in Fairfax. And um, usually has some good foreign talent in there, but I think these those guys have now graduated and moved on, I believe, or one may have like one more year left. Well, the the one middle blocker, Martin DeChavria, or whatever his last name is, sorry, I butchered it, is moved on to Pepperdine, who's there as a grad student. Uh, but they returned pretty much everybody else. And the setter, I think, moved on as well. Uh, but their young kid, the six, seven lefties, pretty good as well. So they're yeah, NGIT is just reloading. They're they're no they're no different than they were the last number of years. They're pretty good. All right. Anyone else anything to add on the EIVA? Any other intel from you guys traveling the nation? No. Go to Conference Carolinas then. Um, anyone want to jump on Conference Carolinas? If not, I got two names I want to drop because they I got North Greenville. <laughs> I think they're coming in as an early favorite. That's uh, especially with the changing of Boer. I think that opens the door for them to really kind of establish that dominance. And I believe they brought just about everyone. Diego Rosic yep. um, was one of their top performers last year, and he's back and probably going to be just fine. national so, team too. So, <laughs> yeah, the uh, I think I think he's right. North Greenville's the early favorite. I think King would have been in there again had Ryan stayed with the program. I, I will see what happens with that program. But North Greenville is a team to beat for sure. Do we know who took over King? No. No announcements have made yet. So no. they just have the interim listed um, for the men and the women. I'll tell you, Warren Davis grabbed some eyes last year at the uh, well, the opening round of the NCAA tournament. Uh, great little outside hitter for King. And then uh, their other, Kellen Kennedy. Their middle was also eye catching as well. At least, you know, Jay and I working the match, like they were putting up a fight. So, uh, you know, some good stuff coming out of uh, King. Yep. Uh, anything else to add about Conference Carolinas? Nope. Unfortunately, I don't have a lot about the NEC or uh, you guys. Do you uh, have anything to throw down? Yeah, Long Island's going to be good again. St. Francis of Pennsylvania is going to be good again. I, we saw them in our early season tournament here. They run a real fast tempo to the left side uh, that's going to cause a lot of headaches. Merrimack's going to be pretty good. Ray Lewis has done a nice job building that team up. Uh, and I and I think it's going to be kind of a three-headed fight. So don't, don't count out Sacred Heart. They've got Mucharino coming back, who's a big outside hitter. Um, and so, you know, I, I think the NEC right now is, is kind of stepping up. Uh, in terms of caliber, they brought a couple of new players in. Their coaches are a little bit more established. Their systems are established. And you see it's going to be good in a couple of years. Yeah. And then uh, SIAC, which there's obviously a lot of change because now two guys transferring over to Charleston. Uh, those were the two programs that were the favorites until those two left. But uh, what's the, what do we know about the SIAC? Anyone can jump in. I think Fort Valley State, uh, where Larry Rather is at, is is going to pick up a couple of new players. They're going to be pretty good. Um, I think the more and more uh, teams from the SIAC are able to either host teams, bigger name teams, or be able to go out and travel, I think the more and more we'll be able to see their level of play. But like any conference that has brand new teams that just started, 
it's going to take him a while. And I use the example of Cal Baptist. Cal Baptist back in the day, not very good. Uh, they they were you know just a hand, a ragtag group of guys that you know were trying to start a program and figure things out. And Ryan McGuire, uh, who, who may have done some nice things at Baylor the last few years, you know started that program out. Um, Wayne Wright, I think was his name, was another coach that that uh, was there for a little while, but. You know, that Cal Baptist took a few years to to grow up and figure itself out. The SIAC, man, they give them three more years, they're going to be beating some teams. Uh, because those coaches are all, you know, hot and heavy and, and know how to play the uh, coach the game in a, at a high level. And Larry's doing some nice things down there. I Excellent. feel like uh Central State and Edward Waters are still kind of gonna be in that mix with uh Fort Valley State at the same time. You know, you know, both those guys uh we're at top of the conference at nine and one. I know they had a few transfers out, but, and I think they're scheduling some matches, both of them that, that will challenge uh, the group of guys that they have in there. So. Good stuff. We're going to go to one of the conferences that actually has their preseason poll out and their preseason all conference team. That would be the Miva dance conference. So let's let him uh, chime in on what's happening there. Well, I think Ohio state's your favorite. Um, certainly they would, uh, return Jacob Pasture and some other key pieces and uh, and their center and their opposite. And so like, uh, and, you know, so they're certainly the most seasoned group and they won the conference were in the final four last year. And so in terms of that stuff and, uh, and then ultimately you've got, uh, you know, I think it's uh, Loyola and then Ball State and then us. And I think everything else gets kind of hodgepodge with uh, certainly some talent on all those teams. You got Parker Van Buren on Loyola. Uh, you got T on Ball State. Uh, there's other pieces with Loyola as well at the same time. Um, Colton Brooks, uh, Dan Magnum as their setter. Uh, and then, you know, I think we're kind of still in that that growing phase. And we've got a couple of key guys, you know, between Morgan and Max and uh, Nikki's groups all coming back for the most part. And certainly they had a couple upset wins at the end of the year last year, if we remember. And Rock's got, Rock could be flying under the radar at Purdue Fort Wayne. He's got uh, Dietrich, who's been around for a while, uh, and Bryce Walker, their middle, who's been around for a while, and Mark, who's another guy. And so, like, he's got some key returners that have played a lot of volleyball, and people may not be giving some credit to that we saw them in the fall in terms of that. And then Lindawood's got A.J. Lewis. He's been around five or six years. And uh, and then Quincy, Karen down there is, you know, I think she's been recruiting a ton of internationals. And uh, I think you're going to see her uh, put a product on the floor that's really competitive at a high level. And then Queens is new. Everybody's going to be, you know, playing Queens. And Jeremy Price is not new to the league. And uh, uh, he's probably <laughs> certainly putting his pieces in place. And so uh, and I think we actually go there this year. Uh, so that'll be a new travel trip for here. I feel like I might as well go see Jay while I'm in Charlotte. So I just like <laughs> uh, But anyway, so uh, I think the Meath is going to have some dog fights. And volleyball level is certainly uh, – uh, going to be hot. All right. We'll let the other coaches chime in on the Miva. Who wants to start off? Yeah, I just think it's, <clears throat> I think it's interesting, right? You got the, you have Ohio state, you have Lewis, you have Loyola, you have ball state. Uh, but I think what makes the Miva so interesting is IPFW, Lindenwood and McKendry. And every single year, these are teams that obviously have caused some issues have obviously pressed. Um, be interesting to see if one of them has the ability to kind of, you know, take over that top three spot and start to contend a little bit. Uh, but this is an incredibly talented conference, really, really exciting to watch. Um, and then we have Lewis coming to our house this year, which is pretty exciting. Get to see Dan and get to see Dan. Throw down. Uh, and before we left the EIVA stuff, uh, we are actually playing. We're playing Jay Hasek 
and George Mason to start the year off at Santa Barbara. That's going to be a lot of fun too. So excited to to tee off with some of the uh, podcast members. <laughs> Got to throw that in there. I'm play- I think we're playing everybody on this screen this year. That's nice. So we're going to yeah. keep a record and Jay, then the winner I, gets I, the prize. I got Jay. I don't have Brad, unfortunately, this year. So. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm either going to I'm either going to feel really good doing one of these podcasts after January or really not so good. <laughs> or just don't show up to the one you lose. No, you show up to the one you lose and let the other one sit on screen heckle you. <laughs> yeah, it happens anyways. It's nothing new. Anything else, Brad? No, I think uh, Loyola, they have the the new outside hitter from the Czech Republic. I've heard some good things from the fall and from the preseason uh, from some people out there. And I think he'll be a real big X factor to how he fits into the mix with what they're doing, um, especially where you have Ohio State, who's basically bringing back, you know, their entire lineup and roster from last year, except for their second outside hitter. Um, So filling that spot for them is going to be huge. But having Pastor and Wetzel on the pin around them is definitely going to help them out. Coach Hawks going to the uh, internationals. I'm trying to look him up here. That would be Daniel Fabikovic is uh, who you're referring to. Six, six outside from uh Brickley, Czech Republic. So uh, Hawks got a good recruit, I guess, uh recruiting, recruiting class coming in apparently as uh, first one. So uh, be exciting to see what happens with the there. That's a hotly contested conference. You know, things just like the other the conferences <laughs> battle during the season, but the tournament is what determines who goes in. <laughs> It's a McCarthy recruit, just FYI. I just I know that. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah. So drop that one in there, huh? <laughs> yeah. But playing for Hawks, you know what I mean? So right. Yep. Um, yeah, but there's some great talent in the Miva for sure. And Jacob Pasture, I mean, that's one outside seemed developed quite a bit just in this last season because of his uh, exposure to being listed on the VNL rosters and practicing in the uh, national team gym. So uh, that's going to be scary when he comes back this season. Um, let's go over to uh, MPSF. Um, they have it out, but I want to get your guys' thoughts. No one's representing MPSF. So who wants to take a shot at the MPSF? No, I'll, usually it's Theo. Oh, Theo, you want to take this one? Sure, I can run with it. Um, yeah. You know, I think the obvious favorites are UCLA, right? And and obviously that's, that's who came out as the front runner and um, for the most part, they're the same team in a lot of ways and, and potentially a little bit older. I think the interesting piece is that, you know, after you have a title, I think there's two ways to look at it, right? Do they continue to run with that confidence and build there? Or is there a, the pressure of can you repeat and can you do it again? Um, and the challenge that 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 comes from that. Um but I think Stanford's going to be really good. They added a lot of really nice pieces and and uh, are incredibly de- incredibly deep. Obviously, you have Grand Canyon, um, a team that we open up with, it, also at a, at the Santa Barbara tournament, and they're incredibly talented and and have have some really really great players, outstanding setter. Um, I think they're going to be incredibly gifted, even though they lost. Uh, uh, help me out, guys. Janky, uh, Janky, which yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they, they didn't lost. lose Camden. Camden's still there for year 10. So I have <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, and the question is like, where does Camden fit, right? And where does he play? What position? I think that's going to be a really interesting piece, too. Um, do they move him back to the left and try and get him to fill that that little bit of experience that they lost, or or does he stay on the right? So I think that's going to be a really interesting part, too. Uh, but the MPSF is gonna be really good. Obviously, you can't ever discount BYU. BYU is really talented and 
have some really young guys that are that are really really chomping at the bit and and uh that coaching staff always does a fantastic job um yeah the mpsf is going to be is going to be a barn burner it's going to be a lot of really good volleyball being played can't forget usc too usc i think they're going to be a little bit down this year but they've done a really great job from the recruiting side of things and and uh you know i think in the couple the years to come they're going to be incredibly talented well, I like looking at the uh, the poll, the coaches poll. He had six first place votes uh, for UCLA and one for Stanford. I'm pretty sure that's Spraw's vote for Stanford because he's not going to vote for his own team. <laughs> 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 but uh, other coaches, thoughts on the MPSF? Yeah, it, it's it's UCLA. Uh, they're they're the, the team to beat, and, and I they'd return just about everybody. I think you also got to about... the only guy they don't return. Yeah, well. <laughs> Yeah, it, when you, yeah, J.R. Norris, huh? he'll be back for year 10 as well. Somehow they'll find a way to get him back in there. Um, but you look at historically in the last 10 years, teams have had one really, really strong recruiting class that works their way up and back-to-back championships are kind of the thing, right? And uh, it'll be interesting to see if UCLA is on that train as well when they have a chance to, to win back-to-back this year. But and they're clearly the favorite, uh, and I think everybody else is is going to be you know nip at their heels a little bit. But you know Theo hit it. Can they can they handle that pressure? And I I think they'll be fine. I'm not too concerned about them, but we'll see. Yeah. Anyone else on the screen? MPSF contributions. I, I think the mixture of what happens after UCLA is going to be very exciting and intriguing to watch throughout this MPSF season. You know, we saw it last year with Grand Canyon starting hot and then Stanford coming and catching them at the end of the year for that second spot. Um, and then you have BYU who brings back a ton of their guys from last year and started to play a lot better volleyball at the end of the year. So um, and then USC being young, how they put things together through the end of the year. And then Pepperdine, um, if I'm not mistaken, they'll have a couple incoming spring transfers um, that have a lot of big time experience. So seeing how all those programs bring everything together will be really interesting to sit back and watch while the MPSF's going to battle. Yep. Dan, anything to add? Yeah, I, I think, you know, the one bad thing about um, only having eight teams is there's going to be a team here that we might think needs to be in the championship uh, NCAA tournament, and they're not going to be there. Because, like, remember, the SIAC took one of the uh, at-larges, so you're only going to have two at-larges. Uh, and you want to talk about a debate at the end of the year that we're going to have between like some really talented top 10 teams. And there's going to be a few of these in there. And so, and yeah, UCLA for sure. And then all the, I, I think I agree with Brad, all the other teams are kind of figuring out, Hey, where are we going to end up or how are we going to make our mark? But we get to play three of these. So that should be great. So two of them at home, we open up with UCLA at, at home. And so uh, we'll get that first taste of it, I guess it would be in terms of that. So, yeah. So, I'm going to apologize for the semi-tangential question, but Ryan Boer was on the, the NCA committee, and if he steps down, that means there's a vacant spot, right, on the NCA committee? Uh, so currently the SIAC commissioner took one of the spots. Uh, Kossi and Boer both stepped down. Uh, oh. so that, I, I don't have his name in front of me, but he he's took one of the spots. And then uh, Carl France uh, from uh, uh, the NCU yeah, stepped in the, to the uh, – other spot right now and then i believe tim o'brien tim o'brien who is our current chair of that committee has one year left he'll step away and there'll be another seat vacant that hopefully hopefully we can fill with a coach or uh, somebody that's good i think paula from irvine is on there and the princeton ad is on there so both ad's are the other two spots that kind of fills that out right now who might happen now 
No, thank you. <laughs> now. Let's get a media guy in there. That'd be awesome. So. <laughs> um, all right. So let's go to our final conference, which no polls or uh, preseason teams out. But I do know it's coming out this Wednesday at 12 noon Pacific, the Big West <laughs> men's volleyball preview. I know because I was on it, but I got to be quiet. So, but I'm going to let, uh, let Brad talk about the Big West and let the other coaches jump in. Yeah, Rob, you're the only one who actually knows where those rankings are right now and, and where everyone shakes out. Um, but I think we do know that uh, that top spot is probably in contention between Hawaii and Long Beach. Um, Long Beach brings back pretty much everyone um, from last year and um, we'll have pretty much the same lineup, same roster. And they added a few other pieces. They got their um, the outside hitter Varga from uh, Canada. He's back and healthy from an injury he had last season. Um, where I think he was on track to potentially being one of their starting outside hitters or in the mix there. Um, they have another Canadian opposite outside, uh, Clark Godbold also returning, Sotris Sipanis returning as well. So they're going to be uh, plenty good. They added in the transfer from Ohio State, Ben Braun. So I think they're going to be in the mix. Then you got Hawaii, and Hawaii's going to have the big question mark at um, opposite, Libero and Setter. Um, seems like Tred Rosenthal, the high school senior slash true freshman, um, has won that job from what I've been hearing and seeing through the fall. Um, so it'll be really interesting to see how that comes together for Hawaii and how he's able to set those returning attackers who are pretty formidable um, out there. And then um, really the middle is, I think, wide open um, from three to six in terms of CSUN bringing in a few guys and returning just about everyone. And then you have Santa Barbara, who will be real young, they uh, have three really good right sides and figuring out how they're going to get them all on the court is going to be really interesting with Jess Bianchi, Owen Berg, George Bruning, who is a highly touted recruit um, out of Balboa. Yep. Yeah. He's a, he's a stud and a, a good player too. Um, so figuring out how you get three right sides on the court will be an interesting task for Rick and everyone up there in Santa Barbara. Um, and then, yeah. So, I mean, that's pretty much the rundown. We don't have too much other than that. Well, I know that you're not talking about your team, so I'll let Theo talk about him because he's probably been scouting you. Yeah, yeah, I gotta throw, I gotta throw Brad in there because uh, he has an addition by the name of Anthony Sherfan who went to my high school, my alma mater, Alamany, <laughs> and uh, I think he's gonna make a big splash. He's a hell of an athlete. Um, he definitely adds some depth to to uh, to Brad's roster and and definitely some athleticism. I think they're gonna be, you know, I think they're gonna be a team to be reckoned with for sure. And you know, I echo all the things that he said. Hawaii is going to be really interesting, right? They lost some main pieces, but also added some some new and interesting ones. That'll be interesting to see how it shakes out. And I think these new NCAA rules, which we haven't talked about yet, the change of the, you know, the the ability to get eligible pretty quickly um, is definitely going to do some things with the portal. And we talking about transferring, um, you know, for those that don't know, there were rules that were based around if you were a 444, meaning you went to a four-year institution and then transferred three times or two times so that you visited three different four-year institutions. The rule used to be that you had to sit for a year um, with a lot of these antitrust cases being lost by the NCAA. They're starting to get away from a lot of these rules that limited student athletes ability to compete. Um, and if you don't know, Irvine has picked up a couple of really talented players, some of which actually trigger some of these 444 rules. Um, and just this past week, uh, they have eliminated that rule and said that the only the only real thing that needs to happen is a two-week waiting period. 
um, after the transfer. So uh, there is a potential that Irvine's roster is 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 really really talented, um, even with the loss of Sonny, which obviously we know is an incredibly valuable asset that they're not returning this year. Um, so that top three spot with Long Beach, Irvine, and Hawaii, I think, is going to be really really interesting, and then and then a dogfight uh, with the with the three of us. So it's going to be a lot of fun. Yep. Other coaches, Dan or Jay, jump in. The the transfer rule is the big thing. That that uh the NCAA is crumbling <laughs> with with just eliminating all kinds of stuff that they no longer want to get involved with. That years ago they were so stalwart about their, you know, their their decision making. But I think and and Rob, I, I, I hate stroking your ego here, but I think Irvine's gonna be the dark horse. Um, I, I think obviously Long Beach, you know, has a good crew and, you know, Hawaii is going to take a little bit of time to kind of figure its new identity out, so to speak. I don't think they're going to suck by any standard. I think Hawaii is going to be fine, but I think Irvine's going to be the team. Uh, if they could figure their center position out between, um, the kid who came from Hawaii and, and with Joe Carlos, I think that's going to be the, the missing piece for them. And if they can get that transfer eligible, uh, which it sounds like they're going to, uh, they are going to be nasty. Uh, and so I think Irvine might be a team that that I would keep an eye on. Nolan Flexton is the guy that we're talking about, too. Yeah, Nolan Flexton. Kid's so good. Because he was at Grand Canyon, became the NAIA Player of the Year at Masters College, which is, is it D3 or NAIA? NAIA. And then came to Irvine after taking a year off, is what yeah. I understand. So, right. Dan, anything to add on Big West? Outlook. Uh, Nolan Flex is good. He's a six nine outside. So like I think I a little bit agree with Jay. I, I mean I think Brett Seward is in there with Irvine. Yep. You know what I mean in terms of that. And they've got some older pieces and him that guy's ridiculous. Do you know what I mean? Uh, yeah, Hino. Hino. Yeah, like he's just so fun to watch as a lefty on the outside and has such range on the serve. Do you know what I mean in terms of that? I, I think it, he might be the best server we've ever seen, Dan. Uh, from a point scoring standpoint, for sure, like the, his ability to change speeds and movements, pretty impressive. And so, um, but yeah, I think the league, their league again is going to be gnarly tough. Um, good luck, Brad. So I had to do my research for the preview show, and this is one stat I can share, but, you know, looking at leading aces in the nation was Hilaire Heno from UC Irvine but he had 0.88 aces per set. The next closest was 0. 0.41. Wow, so, um, so good. Uh, I was mind blown by that stat. <laughs> hey, well, Hawaii picked up a France kid last week. <laughs> just so you know. So yeah, that's going to, that's going to probably throw another, and he's an opposite because they needed an opposite in terms of the pieces they were looking for. So <laughs> they have a Turkish opposite that they've got inked in too. So <laughs> yeah so no surprise only four and a half scholarships huh that's weird <laughs> yeah it's weird i know, weird I know that worked we could have a whole show on the whole nil thing going for four or five schools and what that looks like and everything else because it just changes the, the landscape for men's volleyball within those institutions so yeah it's the collectives i would definitely like to get involved in that conversation the collectives are changing the game completely yeah yeah well uh with that you know, I was given this task just to pick my top three, two to three players for the Big West Men's Volleyball Preview Show. And it was near impossible. I had to, like, I started writing this list. and I had to basically eliminate 90% of it. But I want to put to you guys, 
who are the top players to watch in the nation this year for, let's say, like the lay fan who's like, okay, here's this person, you know, because Jay said we should watch them. But who would those guys be? Try and pick three. I know it's going to be hard because it was super tough for me just to do Big West. So um, uh, who feels like they can take a stab right off the bat here? Who's looking sharp? Well, I, I'll go first. I mean, Hino for me. I mean, we just talked about him. He's, he's going to be, I think he's going to be pretty exciting to watch. Um, I think from the Miva, I got to pick a guy from the Miva would be Jacob Pasteur. Um, he's got a little bit of international experience. And then, you know, where does he take that next step or that next level uh, in terms of that? And so, um, you know, and I think after that, there's a slew of guys. I mean, I, I think Merck is a pretty special libero. And people don't give enough love to liberos sometimes. And so, like, he's he's people wouldn't put him in because he's not point scoring. But man, the kid's pretty darn good. So, and I'm glad I don't have to face him twice. He's got to face him once. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, yeah, those would be three guys who want to watch. Good three calls. different geographic regions too. All right, who's up for the challenge next? Frozen. Let's. I'll, I'll go only because he mentioned all my guys that I had written down. I can show you. I have my favorite written down. Uh, Heno, without question, is a guy you got to be watching. He is going to make a lot of money at the next level. Um, I, I think Pasteur getting that experience with the national team over the summer, he's going to come back and be an absolute handful. And and kind of like what Dan said, I'm glad I don't have to see him at all instead of seeing him twice. Um, I like Merck. I think Merck's going to be the next libero that you're going to see in the national team gym. I'll throw one more out there. Uh, I, I think Rowan is a guy that you should be keeping an eye on. He, he He's not as technically sound, like he, a little bit, I don't want to say flowy. That's not the right word to describe it. But you look at some setters compared to how he sets. But, man, does he put the ball in the right spot, the right tempo at the right time? He knows how to, to read defenses and how to get his offense humming. I think that's a guy you should be keeping on, an eye on as well. All right. Uh, Theo looks like he's ready. Yeah, I'll, I'll take a shot at it. Ido David. Um, at UCLA, I think he's probably one of the most outstanding opposites we've seen and in, in a big part of why they won that title this past year. And obviously they have enough pieces that you could probably just name three guys on their roster and you could get away with saying, yeah, those guys are definitely in the conversation with the top guys to watch. Um, Jacob Pastor, I think is definitely a guy that you got to mention. Um, and Rob, I think you talked about this a little bit, but his ability to make an impact on the national team and um, make some rosters there and, and, you know, show his talent set there is, is pretty impressive. And, and then Parker Van Buren, um, that guy's an absolute freak talent, um, tons of size and, and a, a definite force for Loyola and, uh, and for Dan at Lewis. <laughs> <laughs> and then over to Brad. I got, um, I mean, I had Merrick McHenry uh, from UCLA, but uh, I got to spread it out within the MPSF. So I'll, I'll shout out Will Rotman up at Stanford, who's bound to have another great year and was a horse for them down the stretch. Um, then in the Big West, I'll shout out uh, Mason Briggs, libero from Long Beach. I think him and Merck are the two best liberos in the country um, and play really, really well. And then uh, in the Miva, I'll go uh, Shane Wetzel, opposite for Ohio State. Um, very, very uh, unique arm swing and a whip of an arm and hammers the ball. And then I I think out on the East Coast, you got to go Ben Harrington for Princeton going into his final year with a cannon of an arm. All good calls. I'm glad because like I'm, those are all names. I'm like, oh, they would have been. Oh, yeah, for sure. My list, too. But Toby is the owner. I got to add that on there because he gave me a lot of highlights on my iPhone 
last year. So uh, watching that <laughs> play, that play in the middle, that he, I mean, it's amazing watching him play and jump. So um, I think someone's battery is about to die out. So I wanted to get this topic in there, Jay. <laughs> but uh, with the NCAA Women's National Championship finishing up, we had amazing attendance, viewage, uh, viewership. Uh, but on the men's side, also, we've seen outstanding growth, 70% plus in the juniors participation level, uh, if I got it off the top of my head right, and then a 17% growth in high school participation from 2012 to 23. How can the men's capitalize on what's happened with the women's and uh, open topic? So whoever feels like they can take a shot, go for it. Maybe Jay, since his battery's going to die, and then everyone else can go in from there. Yeah, yeah, I apologize. Uh, we need people at high up positions to take a chance and show what men's volleyball can do and what boys volleyball can do. Um, the, these, these women's conferences and the people that are the higher ups that are making decisions on where to play uh, their matches on in, in social media and how they get it broadcast across the country. We need people like that to. Uh... Oh, he died. And he died. <laughs> he died. <laughs> what a cliffhanger for, for next week. <laughs> Do you, think we, do you just leave his face frozen on the recording like that? For the <laughs> time? Who wants uh, to pick up the I'll, second? Bit? I'll piggyback off of what he was kind of touching on, um, but I, you know, I think I think what we're seeing in terms of this growth has a lot to do with what's happening at the club level, and um, the the club volleyball industry is a very is a very lucrative one, and I think that a lot of people are starting to figure out that by giving these kids opportunities to compete. Um, with AAU starting to really take a stronghold and have a big presence in men, in boys volleyball, there's just a lot of really great opportunities to play. And if you open up the club side and you have, you know, even starting with four or five teams, um, there's a lot of money to be made. And it's a lot of work that goes into that. And But we're seeing some tremendous growth and we're seeing high schools, uh, you know, across the country starting to add boys volleyball, which is really, really fantastic. The the thing that I would say is our biggest hurdle is just the lack of resources to go to the next level, right? And obviously, it's fantastic to have a lot of opportunities at the Division Three level, um, but there's a lack of scholarship. And I know we're we're starting to see the NIL and and see this making a big difference as far as what it can do for for student athletes. And but I think for the most part, that's affecting the top echelon of volleyball players that to this point already have already had great opportunities put in front of them. Um, the question is, is, is the bottom continues to grow? How do we find enough possibilities and opportunities for these guys to continue their careers and play at the next level and sponsor it with scholarships and resources that really matter. Right. And, you know, there's, a, there's a lot of kids that we recruit on a regular basis who are dual sport athletes and who are considering do I go the basketball route or do I go the volleyball route? And when there isn't a lot of resources and opportunities on the volleyball side, and you're looking at a partial scholarship versus, Hey, can I go and play for a division two basketball program and, and get a full ride? Um, it's a difficult decision to make. And I think that as we continue to grow and we try and find avenues and resources for kids to, to benefit from the work that they're putting in, I think that's going to be the biggest challenge for boys volleyball. <clears throat> yeah, I think Neo hit some Theo hit some really good spots there. And you know, I do think that's something that really kind of becomes more on the forefront a little bit further down the road once 
kind of the NCAA and Division One, Division Two, II, Division Three, and all that stuff kind of settles over the next five, ten years and the funding for that. But from the strictly boys volleyball and college volleyball perspective, I think everyone's doing their part, you know, and what I mean by that is most of these kids who are playing volleyball, whether it be at the club level, the high school level, even up into the college level, they have some exposure to the game early on, you know, whether that's their sister played, their parents played. And now we're just getting a lot more exposure out to people to start building those connections, building those ties to the sport at a lot younger age so that they're getting involved with AU where, what Orlando was the largest tournament we've had um, for any volleyball event um, in the youth. And then in Chicago, a few weekends ago, there was a AU JBA tournament out there. That was the second biggest one other than Orlando, you know, and I think all of those continual exposures, and then you compound that with being able to put on ABC and to the fact that I'm watching ABC and women's college volleyball instead of football on a Sunday in fall is, and is, rather dumbfounding you know and I think that's those little steps go a long way to breeding more and more people who really have that love and passion for the sport and that intrigue with the sport so I think there's a lot of things going in the right direction for us and it's just a matter of us you know not messing it up and keeping the trend rolling excellent Dan anything to add yeah uh, I think it'll be pretty interesting to see the trickle down effect so you got a couple schools that are in the Big Ten and Penn State and Ohio State um, and do they pick up a few more matches on the Big Ten platform? You've got the Big West, and I don't know currently like Theo's and Brad's schedule within the Big West uh, network and from what's going on with there. But uh, And then you've got all the kind of outliers. Uh, I mean, the Pac-12 is still somewhat functioning a little bit in terms of that. But uh, it'll be interesting to see if the slate of games gets ramped up within those conference uh, things in terms of that. I, I think – one of the things that I would say for other coaches that might listen to this, um, so I, the conversation I had with uh, Volleyball TV, um, they're willing to pick up and stream your uh, matches already within their platform uh, if you're not in a contract bind with whatever conference you are that's already doing stuff. Wow. Uh, and so uh, it's a conversation I had, and it'd be you know coaches reaching out, and that'll be part of it. It'll be coaches reaching out, coaches' relationship with ADs and conferences and how do we get a little bit more done? I, I know we want more ESPN, you know, in terms of that. And, and certainly there are some uh, coaches and ADs that have those connections. And I think that's what Jay was alluding to. But uh, I think there's a willingness if you ask that you can get some more on. But I think that volleyball TV is another avenue, too, that if you're not in a contract obligation uh, that you could kind of reach out. And then all of a sudden, like, if you don't know this, like the world, 55 percent of their viewership loves is is versus 45 on male to female volleyball and like men's volleyball is certainly more popular international. Uh, so you're going to garnish some viewers for your school and your program and some things in a whole different light than just the uh, current, maybe ESPN three stream or your own streaming thing in terms of that. And the production value that you need to have it maybe isn't as high as you think you need to have it in order for them to do it is a conversation we had a little bit. So. Wow. That's huge information. <laughs> I figured Excellent. I would share it here. So whoever's listening, maybe they will re they can reach out to me too if they want to, if they need a contact. I can share that email contact as well. So I'll be sure to get that on there and highlight that for sure. Well, with that, we're going to conclude our uh, preview chatter of men's volleyball. That's all I can really say because you don't have all the information, but uh, we did have Jay Hofsick of George Mason. Oh, wait, I got to say this first. Uh, 
be working the first point challenge. I know I don't want to highlight one particular team or tournament, but I got to do that because uh, we'd love to get some eyes on that as well. It's the basically MPSF schools of USC, UCLA, Stanford facing some MEVA schools of Ball State, Ohio State, and one EIBA school. That's Penn State. So that's uh, January 19th and 20th. Uh, <clears throat> weird, they were on VBTV last year, and they're going to a different platform this year. Oh, boy, sure. ball. Yep. So yeah, it's all because of production stuff. Just so you guys know, I, I asked okay. the same question. So I, I think Flo had was willing to pay what they needed to pay at that time. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So, so uh, keep that in mind. And for that, uh, the EIVA absent member because of running out of battery, Jay Hosick of George Mason. You got Dan Fran of Lewis, Theo Edwards of uh, CSUN, and Brad Ross Strutter of UC San Diego. We're still waiting for. I think polls the remaining teams or conferences polls and preseason teams are out this week that includes the eiva uh big west conference carolinas thiac nec and i don't think the ecc is gonna be doing it quite yet because they're starting later so um guys i appreciate your knowledge and insight always excellent stuff and amazing how peaceful the show is when jay's not on it but <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, guys. Thank you, Rob, and happy holidays, everybody. Happy Thank holidays. You. Yeah. Same to you guys. Thank you. Thanks for listening to College Volleyball Weekly. Be sure to follow Rob Espero at the Rob on the Mic on Instagram and at Rob on the Mic on Twitter. <laughs>